<laughs> Gosh, John, I forget how good you are at karate. That's incredible. I know, man. I mean, it's all about the right belt. It is. Timing you know? or your leather belt. Exactly. I, I feel like maybe, is that not, that's what you meant. Not really, okay. but speaking of, oh, Dave, wow, I'm yeah, just yeah. going to try to transition to okay. save you. <laughs> Finally, Dave, Yeah. warm spring days are arriving. Oh, Am I gosh. right? Isn't it great? You know what? I need a new pair of shades that I don't have to baby. Do you know what I'm saying, John? I don't want to take care of them. Let me put them on, take them off, and not have to worry Look, about it. Hey, Dave, I know exactly Sorry. Sorry, what I didn't you mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. Knock around is the solution. They've been making high-quality shades that don't break the bank okay. since 2005. Oh, wow. And they've actually been my personal go-tos for years. Oh, yeah. I love Knockaround, John. They have over 20 different frame styles, so there's something for everyone, including tons of kids' pairs. That's right. So whether you're looking to rep your favorite sports teams, mm-hmm. you know, like you're a sports guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> spend some relaxation time in the yard, yep. or cruise down Broadway with the windows down oh. like Dave does uh-huh. all the time. All the time. Every Tuesday and Thursday mm-hmm. and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Knock around. That's what you need. Yeah, yeah. All of their lenses have UV 400 protection, which is basically like sunscreen for your eyes, which, by the way, I've tried that, and it hurts. <laughs> Use the sunglasses, everybody. With polarized adult pairs starting at 28 bucks. you can get a few pairs to leave in your car, toss in your beach bag, or lend to a friend in need. Dave, that is such a good price I that I might buy a pair just to intentionally lose them. I don't love that logic, John, but I know, you do but have a history of misplacement. It's not around Don't fight me because like of the karate stuff. But it could so. be perfect for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dadville fans, don't squint through family beach days yeah. or trips to the park. Check out knockaround.com and use the promo code DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order. That's DADVILLE15 for 15% off your order at knockaround.com. Welcome back to Dadville, everybody. This is Dave. This is John. And I'm excited. We're both excited. Can I speak for Me you, John? Too. Well, I can speak for myself. I've got a microphone. <laughs> you do. But I like where you were headed. Go okay. ahead. <laughs> Good. Just, just see if this energy works. <laughs> um, this is an episode we're both really excited about and proud of. You know, when we, at the inception of Dadville, we kind of thought, John and I thought, this will be a really fun, like, podcast where we talk about dad stuff and, you know, like, uh, uh, fixing. Lawnmowers. Yeah. Mo- thermostats. Thermostats. Oil changes. Um, and, you know, this episode, when we had Miles on, it was this really cool moment where, like, may- maybe this can be, you know, something more profound and, and possibly more helpful and, and a little more weighty. Um, as long as I'm on this podcast, it will be weighty. Don't. <laughs> Don't do it. No, I knew you were going to laugh. That hurts my no, I was laughing about something else. Okay. <laughs> Just something that Miles said in the interview. I was remembering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they got me in the giggle box. Um, but Miles came on, and uh, and it's just, it was a amazing time. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, this is one of those episodes where I feel like you and I both learned so much, John. It just yeah. felt like everything he had to say was so profound. Um, and you'll learn more about him in this episode. Miles runs uh, Onsite, which is a, a counseling center right outside of Nashville. Um, and so obviously he has amazing experience and so much to say about the human condition and, mm-hmm. and getting better and sort of working on ourselves. And um, he speaks to a lot of that in this episode. And, you know, um, I'm able to spend kind of uh, intermittent time with Miles. We're in a men's group together um, with a bunch of other artists and friends. Um, the, before the pandemic, we met once a month and we would do a lot of sort of the on-site um, 
exercises and work and stuff. And it's just really profound, um, his involvement in the music community here in Nashville, um, and, and the services that on-site sort of brings to not only musicians and artists and songwriters, but, but everybody. It's really amazing. And you'll hear a lot of his wisdom on this episode. It's really, really, really profound stuff. Yeah. And this was one of the, you know, earlier interviews that we did. And it was like, I feel like kind of a turning point where we felt like, oh, this is going to be like, this is going to be a really helpful, hopefully, podcast and helpful interview to people out there. So this could be one of those podcasts that actually doesn't embarrass us, <laughs> but actually maybe makes us look <laughs> smarter than we are. <laughs> as long as we just turn Miles' mic up a little more, turn and ours down. Ours. But it, it was great. And, and if, I mean, we talk about on-site on here, but uh, check out on-site because it's a really unique, yeah. it's like it, they're doing things that I don't know if anyone else is doing. Very it's true. really, really Very cool. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, enjoy your time in Dadville. So here we go. Miles Adcox, which is there. A co- you should have been an international spy with that name. Miles Adcox. Miles Adcox. I still got a second career. Huh? Yeah, dude, you got it. Yeah. yeah. You oh, you may be now, actually. Don't yeah, tell yeah. us because I don't want to die. Um, is an entrepreneur, speaker, host, and coach. He's the owner and CEO of OnSite, an internationally known emotional wellness lifestyle brand that delivers life-changing personal growth workshops, inspiring content, leadership retreats, and emotional treatment. Miles' work at OnSite has been featured on, this is bananas, by the way, 2020, Good Morning America, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Dr. Phil Show, and The Doctors. Miles Adcox has devoted his life to living into these three concepts. I love this, by the way. We need to talk about this later. Empathy over action, love over agenda, and grace over advice. So basically three things I'm terrible at. Publicly (laughs) and privately, he is known as one of the most plugged in people on human condition that there is today, which I think is true. He is the owner of OnSite Music Publishing, Milestones at OnSite, and the OnSite Foundation, as well as founder of Inspire Nashville. Miles has created and managed multiple mental health programs, personal growth workshops, and speaks national emotional wellness. Miles has been a featured speaker and facilitator at various international events, including Random House and the O and O, the Oprah Magazine's Rising Strong Day with Brene Brown and TEDx. I mean, come on, man. Uh, and then lastly, he has consulted major brands on an organizational health and emotional wellness is in a, and is a communication, personal growth, and mental health consultant to the entertainment industry. Miles Atcox. Wow. Give it up, folks. That's, uh, that's, that's, it. that's been updated. It, it's it's, it's amazing. amazing. What, what do you think when you hear that? Well, um, I think I outkicked my coverage. <laughs> so honestly, first thing I thought, I was like, how am I going to, I wish we wouldn't read it in the beginning. So I'm like, how am I going to back that up? That guy sounds really smart. <laughs> well, we can edit this. Okay, yeah, we can you. make you yeah. sound great. Thank you. Good, great. No, I'm uh, Christy who directs my office. It, she's been writing on that because there's some stuff in there I haven't seen or read in a while, which is humbling. I, I really am trusting her just to, she'll write stuff about me and put it out. I don't even yeah. know about it. And I hear about it now, but you know, on, on one hand, um, I do feel proud uh, mm. to have been able to do some of that. It is uh, humbling. Uh, but then uh, to have somebody write about you in that way, because there were a couple of things in there that I have said before, but I would never put in my bio. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's such an odd yeah. thing to have a bio. Oh, dude. It, yes. Yeah. Amen. But anyway, for the most part, I, f- I feel proud and honored to have been able to be a part of a lot of those things. So where'd you grow up? What's the, what's the beginnings of Miles? A Atkins? huge... Uh, 
metropolis called Hohenwald, Tennessee. Oh yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, no, it's such a great town. It's it's uh, so I'm a Tennessee guy. I grew yep. up in a little small town about an hour and a half south of here. It borders Columbia. Most yep. people don't know where Hohenwald yeah. is. That's the, isn't that where the huge. Um, Goodwill, what is it where they come dump the clothes? It used to be. We're oh, not, not really not known for that anymore. Okay. I mean, okay. it used to be, they call them dig stores, yes. kind of junk stores. Yeah. And we used to have a ton of them. People would come in from all over yeah, to yeah. dig the clothes. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore, but the Elephant Sanctuary is down in Hohenwald. Have oh, you heard of that? yes. Yeah, a lot of people now know us by that. But yeah, Hohenwald's a great town. That's where I grew up. And my mom and dad still live there on the farm that I spent most of my childhood on. Wow. So did they move to the farm while you were growing up or did you grow up on the they farm? They did. Yeah, we lived in, downtown and then we moved out there. My first memories were out there. Okay. And, you know, and what kind of farm was this? Well, it was more of a hobby farm. We weren't, okay. we didn't farm for a living. We just uh, lived on acreage and always okay. had horses and had cows for a little while. And so yeah. I grew up running around on it. I love, I mean, far, I think being uh, outside created an early imprint for me that wow. I still, it's where I breathe deepest. It's where I come yeah. alive the most and it's where I have the most energy. Wow. So if I could, I'd probably live on a farm, but I, I married a Southern California girl. So, well, yeah. I follow you on Instagram now. <laughs> And I will say that your your Instagram feed makes me want to buy a horse, uh, whiten my teeth, um, <laughs> buy a, a cowboy a, hat. There's a story there. The horse and teeth have something to do with each oh, other. Oh, yeah. Do they really? Yeah, I got mine knocked out. That's why I have white teeth is I got mine knocked out in a horse no horseback way. accident. Yeah. Really? Like how? How? So I was on uh, a horse that I still still own. I've had him for a long time, and he was two years old, and I had him just out of the round pen. In other words, we were what they used to call breaking horses. They now call starting horses. We've evolved a lot. Oh, wow. And so I was starting him, and there was something that spooked him in the background, and he took off, um, and I tried to kind of emergency exit off one side, but when I did, he pivoted left in a hurry, and he was at a run, headed towards the barn, and I lost balance on one side and hit a telephone pole. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. At, at a full run. And oh, so at a my full God. Run. How old were you yeah. when this happened? Oh, this was only like a decade ago. Really? Yeah, and so maybe not even that long ago, eight, eight years, maybe, t- you know, it was at least 10 years ago. Yeah. But I, yeah, I broke. 12 teeth out. I shattered my jaw, uh, broke two ribs, broken arm. It was brutal. Oh my God. And it, and I will never forget. I flipped off the back of him and then literally spit my teeth into my hand. Oh my God. I had a mouthful of teeth, which is a weird feeling. I can't believe it didn't knock me out. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, my best friend and I used to, he had this basketball goal in his garage. It was only like five feet and we used to dunk on it yeah one time he hung his tooth in the net oh that happened to a friend of mine pulled it out he pulled his whole tooth out yeah. and when you, and when we called the dentist at that age i remember he said hang on to the tooth and put it in milk and it actually will preserve it so that we may be able to put it back in really and so in my mind oh although my all my teeth were broken and shattered i thought hang on to them in case they can do something because i right. and I, I put them in my pocket and so yeah i had it was it was a rough accident it took i was uh, wired shut twice um twice yeah because the first time they left me malaligned and um, so i've had fully reconstructed but i did get a good set of teeth out of the deal they look great oh thank you and i actually have like most of my teeth are fake are they because my fake my teeth were all crazy when i when i was a kid and like half of them didn't come in right you know 
So I don't have some cool story to tell, but um, <laughs> but so I notice people's teeth. Like it's the first thing I notice oh, from thanks. anybody. I should give Jody so, Jones credit. He's here in Nashville. I spent like a year with he and his team, but they I did bet. a great job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So you grow up on the farm. You have siblings. I do. I've got an older brother, younger sister, so I'm a middle child. You're middle. Yeah. Okay. What is the family dynamic? Like what is the Adcock sort of like? What's the vibe? Well, um, really good family. We grew up a uh, conservative uh, Christian home. Um, I was the black sheep, which the middle child often is. Uh-huh. And I kind of uh, bucked the system a little bit early. Which is punny. Yeah. And right. <laughs> pun intended. Um, <laughs> the, but I stayed with the unit. I mean, they were just, they were, we did a lot of things well. One thing we, we didn't do uh, so well, which is pretty common uh, growing up in the South because we're kind of culturally conditioned not to do emotion. And as a family, you know, we knew we loved one another and supported one another, but we just had zero EQ. We didn't talk about emotion. Wow. We didn't mm-hmm. do the feel, the touch, the thing. And so I, I think I com- came out of the womb as a sensitive kid and I always looked for it. And I knew, and this happens a lot with kids when they're trying to find their way. You're going to get emotion one way one way or another, and if you're not getting a lot of intimacy or connection or affirmation, then you'll get the other emotions. You'll do what you need to do to get negative emotions, mm-hmm. and so I did that a lot. I would test them, push them. Yeah. I was a tough kid to raise, I would imagine, and then uh, I kept that gig up until like my early twenties. Explain that a little more, like when you say you'll get the emotions in other ways. So, so you would test well, your parents just to get any kind of emotion? Yeah, or? I mean, we, I think we're, we, our brains crave uh, intimate connection and emotion, and that can come through a whole range of feelings. And typically, we break up feelings and good feelings and bad feelings. And the bad ones, we avoid at all costs, which is mm-hmm. anger, fear. But the truth is, is they all serve a purpose. We all have them. The more we avoid them, the typically, the more they're going to come out in unhealthy ways sideways. Wow. Yeah. And so that's part of what I do now. I ended up in the, in the business of helping people resolve and reconcile emotions. And one of the first things we do is, is support them in getting touch in the ones that are often avoided or uncomfortable. Fear, sadness, anger. Those yeah. are the three, especially with guys that get a bad rap. But if you see, well, taking back to what you said, even with my little boy, 16 months old, when I am distracted and my biggest distractor right now, I'd honestly say my biggest medicator right now is still technology, still my phone, which I think is pretty common. But, um, when I'm on it, uh, he will first try to get my attention by kind of grabbing my face and pulling me towards him. And if I don't take the cue at that point, his next emotion is probably going to be fear, frustration. And so he'll scream or he'll react or he'll cry. We still do that as adults, even uh, when we're trying to get acknowledged, affirmed or connected with our spouse or the people Mm -hmm. around us. Bad behavior can get attention when good behavior doesn't work Mm. unconsciously. I feel like I need to lay down for a second. I'm <laughs> sorry. That was a I'm real. Like, I, I, is there anything? Even as I said it, I'm sitting here thinking, did that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. I, that makes a little too much oh, it, sense. Yeah, that's the thing. It makes too much sense. Like, I, my mind immediately goes back to, like, the last time that I was, like, like looking at my phone and one of my daughters came and was, you know, was like, daddy, daddy, and, like, grabs my arm. I'm like, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I'm, like, pushing her away back to my phone, which is such, I feel like a... a part of you dies in those moments. Like there's nothing worse than, you know, pushing your child away while you finish 
what is let's hopefully is an email but could be like an instagram post or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah you yeah. Know? <laughs> like sweetie this is important daddy's career depends on this instagram post <laughs> <laughs> this is but i i do i 100% feel it um you know i i try to be mindful of that kind of stuff as a dad for sure but i definitely feel it with my wife you know if we're driving in the car we're from indiana so we make trips up there a lot if i'm driving you know and Amy's on her phone, I feel like we're not in the same moment right now, you know? And, you know, part of it could just be, like, I'm not, I can't be on my phone, so I want I want some company right now. But but that is a thing. And I wouldn't, I would say that Amy's great at it. I don't think she's attached to her phone by any, any means, but I probably, it'd be interesting to know what are the, what are my habits? How do I then get my wife's attention when I want it in those situations, mm. you know? Thank you, by the way, for empathizing with the, the phone thing. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm literally in the business and have a business that helps people detox from technology and have a better relationship with it. And I'm yeah. the first thing out of the gate. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I struggle with this. And so, but I, I think that's been the biggest gift for me as a, as a, as a dad is knowing that it's really not as much about the struggle as it is about knowing the struggle. Because most dads don't know their struggle, don't talk about their struggle, That's don't process it. And it's given me so much freedom to be human and course correct sooner than, than I might have if I were in denial about some of that yeah. stuff. But I yeah. think a lot, like my wife and I, I bet most of our fights or arguments are born out of either a lack of presence or a lack of listening. Yeah. That's the catalyst. That's not the origin because you're digging up some old stuff. But usually the right. catalyst is if right. I'm distracted or doing something else, not present or either not listening and trying yeah. to. Like last night, true story, Annie and I are having this serious conversation. I go, you don't want a popsicle out of the fridge. So I'm like, I know I'm kind of taking a risk walking over to grab this popsicle, but I'm still engaging. I'm affirming and repeating what she's saying. As I open <laughs> the fridge or the freezer, ice that had been sitting on there, I pull out and it comes out like a cast. I mean, it's the, it sounds like a drum solo. It's just, and it comes yeah. out and she kind of, and I look over and she's still, she kind of breathes, but she's like, and so then I think, and I decide right then it's a good idea to start picking the ice up as she's telling me and, and they're, thank God, very kind way. She said, I feel like you're not really invested in this conversation. <laughs> I'm literally scooping ice. I mean, yeah. it, it just, I'm sorry, say that one more time. And I was like, I need to stop this. So thankfully I yeah. wrapped it up quickly, sat down. I was like, I'm really sorry. But I, I mean, I've related to that a million, a million degrees. Like I think, I just made that up, a million degrees. It's 98 degrees. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so Miles, question for you. When, you. when you think about growing up and the lack of emotion, if you could go back, which this is like cheating, but if you could go back, what are the things that you think, how, how could that have been better? Like how, how would you think you would have felt the things you were lacking? How would that have manifested in the relationship with your parents? It's a great question. It's hard. <laughs> and it's kind of cheating because, I mean, you know. I know, but well, it's, it isn't so, but I, I think I've, I have, and the reason I pause is because I just don't want to give you a, a pop answer. Cause I've evaluated that a lot. I've done lots of work on my original system and taking people down that path before. So I, I look back on some of the adversity in which every single family on the planet has adversity and For challenge sure. and struggle and interesting dynamics. We're all a little bit of a a mess because we're all human, but I look back on it and I don't know what I would change because every bit of it deformed who I informed wow. who wow. I've become today. Well, the obvious question is, would you be doing this? Would you have started this, this program that has helped so many people had you not come 
through that sort of, you know, right. flat, and emotionless. Not only that, but also the parenting. I don't think I'd be the dad I yeah. am. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. new to the game, so I've got a lot of long runway to screw this thing up. But I, I, I'm proud of how I'm showing up. And my imprint on both sides of the aisle informed that. Yeah. The beautiful things my parents did, and they did a lot of them, and the things they could have done better. Both have helped me yeah. now become the dad I am. And I think that's, hopefully that's what we all get to do as as parents and just humans is build on and improve on the generation before us. Okay, Absolutely. so, so this, yeah. is, this was part two. That's a perfect segue. When you think about, and, and you being someone who's well-versed in this from the people that you work with and, and help, uh, and then just what you see, you know, just kind of the global eye on the sky with on-site and all you are doing. What do you feel like are the big differences between that generation and ours? I mean, and you, you know, I assume we're pretty close in age. I'm 40, but, you know, just kind of seeing not the World War II generation, but the boomers after that, that are like, you know, what are the, what are the consistencies you see in how we're thinking about our kids and how they thought about us? There are people way smarter than me on this topic. And so I hesitate to fully comment because I don't know how educated this will be, but I I have theories and thoughts and I guess just a, as a basic rule of thumb, uh, it's what we just talked about. I, it's not across the board, but I think culturally in certain parts of our country specifically, if we're just talking about, well, that's not true because we work a lot of the people internationally. And it's pretty standard wow. is that generation bootstrapped it more. Um, they, uh, discipline was a little different. Um, talking about, uh, emotions was a little different. Uh, but it's, as I say, it's hard to generalize it because yeah, there's sure. so many mm-hmm, for sure. variations, but I think we are more, our generation, especially the next one, I think millennials are really going to change the game because they're asking a lot of disruptive questions and they're, wow. they are a little bit of a pain in most of our ass anyway. Right. But I love it because I love that they're pushing through, but back to us, I think we were the ones that said is what we do and who we are. Does it matter? how can we become better versions of who we are? How do we relate better? How, Cause I think the generation before us was always, I mean, they did that in church. The ones that went, that was kind of a faith approach. And the rest of it was like, it was not survival, but it was more, let's do our jobs. Let's raise our kids. Let's just do life. Yeah. And they didn't really stop to contemplate how, how do my actions uh, affect these people? Now, some people might argue with that. I'll say the people that are experts in this space, but I have seen us learn from that generation and evolve and become more informed uh, emotionally. And I think we're disrupting patterns of the way men were supposed to be. We've got a long way to go. But what a man's man used to be called, I think that really hindered uh, dads on what Mm -hmm. they could teach young boys. I think we're seeing the fallout of that now. I think in large part, the the boys and men of our generation uh, are in a lot of pain. And causing a lot of pain. I mean, we're seeing that at extreme levels with violence. You know, it's typically men that are that are doing the the shooting. That's happened 307 times, I think, this year. And you got to ask those questions: Why? You know, what what's happened? I think a lot of that comes from our lack of being curious enough, open enough emotionally to stop and and ask uh, the hard questions and understand where people are, who they are, where they've been, offload the pain and stress, and become more in tune with who they're becoming. Yeah, that was a long answer. No, that's that. that's no, that was really well said. I think that's something that I, I know I think a lot about, and but that's the best way that I would think about it too. Is there does seem to be a sense of what are my decisions 
you know, like I mean, with John and my friends that are dads and, and just my friends in general around my age, there is this sense of like, how am I affecting the world? People around my wife, my kids, um, mm-hmm. where I look to your point, I, I think, I mean, you know, my dad's an amazing man, but I think even he would say that's not something that was sort of a conversation, you know, sort of like, I just got really mad at my kid before I jump on the lawnmower, whatever it is, I wonder if that's going to bother, I should maybe go readdress that and apologize or give some thought to what I'm doing to my child where I think, you know, that World War II, it's just that, you know, what a terrible thing to have to do is go to war and see mm. the things that... That info, yeah, a lot of know, the experiences exactly. that come informed and They it. bring home all that pain, not knowing how to deal with it, and then they have their kids, and then those kids have us, and... Well, a lot of what they did too, they got right. I mean, they they were externally focused, so their service and their compassion was more on other people versus themselves. Wow. And our generation tends to be more. Yeah, we that's can true. Look that's more very inward. True. I think what we learn, the good side of that, is I can't really facilitate any of those questions and support or lead or parent anybody unless I do the work myself. Yeah, uh, that still gets a bad rap as egocentric or self-important. Um, but in my understanding of it, and I could back it up with science and spirituality, it's vital. And I think yeah. the generation before us didn't know that. Even my dad and I, we've had some good conversations, and I think he's doing his best parenting now. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. Wow. The relationship so when we you were now, growing up, I'm curious to know, like, was there a way with your dad and with your mom, was it like we don't re- – emotion is not really uh, – an area where we connect or where we're free to just, you know, our emotions are out. Was there an activity where it was all kind of channeled into like, you know, with my dad and I, we would play basketball together in the driveway or go like throw the football or something like that. That, that was like a lot of our connection was sort of focused into this one activity that we would do. Was there a way that you and your dad would connect you know, I have good memories of play with with my dad, but when I was growing up, he was in his busiest season, uh, yeah. his busiest professional season, and was trying to provide. And so he was. He would tell me now, that's one of his regrets. And I, I'm careful because I don't. I don't want to paint a picture. I hope they they listen listen to this interview, and I don't want to paint a picture. They're of, huge fans. By the uh, they are absolutely huge, huge of fans. either of my parents of. Uh, of, of what they did wrong because I, they, they did so many beautiful things uh, well and right. And, but it wasn't perfect. And I look at, and I'm grateful for the system because I've worked with so many people that had just overt um, disconnection, abuse and abandonment. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that. I mean, I knew I yeah. was loved and that was, yeah. I want to say it was hard when I crashed and when, if we get on into it in my twenties, cause that was the next catalyst that got me into the change space was through the lens of my own experience. I dealt with depression, anxiety, and kind of crash. And when I got around uh, people who facilitated what I now facilitate, they ask those questions. You immediately go back to your family. It's like, what yeah. happened? Yeah. And when I looked at my family at that time, I thought they're pretty perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't really point. So that was hard. I was a little bit even envious of the people in the group that had alcoholic and abusive parents. Cause I thought at least they know why they're screwed up. Right. 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 And for me, I was thinking, well, they're good. So it must be me. Wow. Wow. But they're actually, if you put, um, the adult child of a workaholic and the adult child of an alcoholic in the same room, who do you think is harder to treat? I would think the alcoholic. I'm probably wrong. It's the workaholic. 
man. Huh. For the same reason I just said. So we'll work, when I say adult child, we'll work with adults who grew up with the workaholic uh, system or family and an alcoholic family system yeah. simply because the world empathizes more with oh, the with one the... who grew up and the world promotes and builds up oh, and affirms yeah, yeah, more yeah. the success, the chase, the hustle, the, yeah. the work, but both have the same dynamic. Yeah. Wow. So that's, that's so interesting. So, so go back. I, I love that. Cause that was going to be um, the next question is how, so you grow up, you go through your family experience. You, where'd you go to school? I uh, went to University of Tennessee. Oh, come on. Come on, balls. Yeah. So you talked about obviously getting into the space you're in now. How did you get there? What was that? You know, what was the fallout? What got you to that? What then got you more interested in that space? Because you were working just in, in, you were doing something else for a while, weren't you? I played sports in the little town I grew up in. It was kind of what you did as a guy. We had arts programs, but not much. I mean, it was a little small town. And so, and I, I, I love sports and, uh, excelled at them at, at the, our little town. And so that I, it's all I knew. And so that's what I ended up doing as a career. I didn't know what else to do. Mm. And so I went into that industry and worked in the sports, the business side of sports for three years. Wow. And about that time is when I was doing something. I was, uh, running a bowl game. Oh, wow. And uh, basically, when you run a bowl game, you're selling the media and all the funding that it takes to put that on. So TV, radio, print. So I, and that comes with entertaining a lot of clients. And I'm at that point in my life, that's why it's so weird for me to take Enneagram tests, because a lot of times they'll advise you to take them pre-21. I was a different person than I am now. Mm. I had somehow adapted my life and personality around being a bigger personality, more extroverted. I talked a lot more. And I would say now I'm fairly introverted, wow. a little bit quiet, a little more shy. I usually am quick. I'll listen before I talk, but I've had to evolve, you know, into that. And at that time, so I guess to say when I was in that career, I was out entertaining people all hours of the night, you know, sitting in bars and nice restaurants. And I just wasn't congruent. I was someone else basically trying to manifest on what I thought the world wanted. Could you me to feel be. that at the time? Did you recognize that? No, I had wow, no okay. idea. I mm -hmm. just ended up being depressed mm -hmm. and anxious. I didn't even know there was a name for that because I just never even paid attention so to it. So what did that, how did that manifest itself? Like how did the depression? I just started feeling blue, started feeling dark. Um, and so I did what most people do is you, you don't, certainly don't talk about it. And then I medicated it. Yeah. And so I just, it was anything. I got pretty creative with recreational drugs, alcohol, relationships, just a lot of unhealthy ways to numb that, that emotional pain. I, I tried them all. And the, the emotional pain being living this kind of version of you that wasn't authentic to who you were. Yeah. And I couldn't, the emotional pain wasn't, as I said, overt abuse. I just ended up feeling depressed and anxious mm -hmm. and I, and uh, I couldn't quite connect the dots on why. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so I just turned inward and held on to it and tried to perform more mm. to outrun it. Cause I thought if I can Gosh. accomplish and achieve more then then maybe this won't catch me. And is it, was, was it your dad's achievement and all that that was driving you? Like you know, I see what my it, dad did. I'm possibly. He didn't put a lot of that pressure on me, but I, it, he's visibly a successful man. He's a really yeah. good man. I mean, if you ask yeah. anybody who knows my father, uh, he's a good man. He's been successful, wicked smart. Yeah. Um, I, my brother got more of his brain than I did, but I used, yeah. So I would say unconsciously watching and growing up with someone who, who thrived in a lot of what he tried. Yeah. I'm sure I compared 
myself to that somewhat. Mm -hmm. So how long were you in that place, in that sort of depressed, anxious place? How long? It was a few years. Wow. Uh, before it got bad enough okay. with the medicators that I kind of bottomed out. Wow. And at the time, my mom, I really credit her. She was the one I'm talking. You guys are good. Talking about parts of the story I'm not sure I've talked about. But it'd be good for my mom to hear this. But she she was really my interventionist. Wow. Meaning she was the one that saw me. She knew. Yeah. I mean, the gig was up. I was <laughs> I was losing weight. I was not happy. Um she could tell, and as much as I tried to pretend and armor up that things were great and professional and everything looked good on paper, moms know. And so she yeah. continued to push in and ask me about it, and I continued to push back, and she pushed in, and I pushed back. And finally, she caught me on the right day, I'm sure, when I was exhausted and tired and just tired of running. And she said, have you thought about getting counseling? I think it'd be a good idea. Your mom said that? Yeah. That's amazing. So you guys were, were pretty close. You're close with your parents throughout this whole, these couple of years we, that were kind of rough. We, we've always been somewhat close, but not real close. Yeah. We were, we've always been, I would say a, a good family, just not a super connected family. Hmm, so in yeah. other words, we know we enjoy each other's company. We know we need to be together, but when we're together, we don't know how to be together. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I, yeah. I feel like that could be the banner of a lot of families. Of, a lot yeah. of families. Yeah, the intent is great. The execution can be well, especially <laughs> but, 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 when and, when you're like a, a young adult, because and we were just talking about this the other day. You have to go through that transition into. I grew up in a house with these two people, but now I'm 25 or whatever, you know, and I'm an adult now. I live on my own now. I have to be a, be an adult with these two people, you know, and there's kind of a weird kind of transition in that behavior. Well, there's, de well, there's definitely new disciplines for everybody. Well, yeah. the the old, the the way a lot of families did it was if they didn't know how to be with each other and there was discomfort or dysregulation within the system, they would just drink or be yeah. abusive or, or leave or divorce, whatever it was. But if you grew up in a Christian family, you didn't have right. that option. And so <laughs> yeah. technology was like the, the answer. So yeah. now we sit around on iPads when we're together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. as much as we used to. It's actually gotten really pretty cool in the last few years because we're all growing and moving. Mm. But when I remember when phones first came out, we would see each other. We'd all be together a couple times a year and we'd all look up and we're all sitting on our phone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dave, you know, the holidays are coming up and you know how being around extended family can make us feel. Oh, yeah. Listen, everybody's got that one uncle that's a little bonkers. Oh, my gosh. Tell me about it. But as we prepare ourselves to be around our family, we're encouraging all our listeners to make sure they're mentally healthy and ready to deal with all the stresses of this year. Oh, man, how many stresses has this year brought to us? COVID's still happening. It's getting dark outside at 4 p.m. That's 4 o'clock p.m. here in Ridiculous. Nashville. It's a tough time of the year for everyone. So yeah. if you're looking for mental health support, check out our friends at BetterHelp. The professionals over at BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed therapist. Connect in a safe and private online environment, and it's so convenient and easy. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp isn't a self-help thing. It's actual professional counseling. You can send a message to your counselor any time of the day for a quick response. And BetterHelp has licensed professionals that can help you deal with depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, even helping you sleep better. 
BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash dadville. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, it's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dadville. Shout out to your mom here because I, I feel like She's that is boss. really counter generational for her. That generation, I feel like some were heavily counseled and got it. But I feel like that, you know, it's ironic is my dad, one of the most informative conversations I have with my dad in my 20s was him saying, I think everybody that can get counseling should get counseling. Wow. And I remember thinking like, for real? Because I was like, aren't we all good? And he was, and he's, he was a pastor. He's retired now, but I think he was just like, no, like people need help. We all need help. And I think that was huge for me to hear because, you know, which you know, but when your parent says like, we all need help. It's sort of like, that's a game we can play now. Is that like, that's, yeah. And so it's so cool that your mom said that because, you know, yeah, she's, she's a boss and she, she grew up with some, some challenging circumstances, but I don't, you know, that generation also really didn't air their laundry and that was just a value. And that's why I'm always careful because when I first got into my own personal emotional recovery, uh, I was uh, talking a lot. Mm. I was really open about it. And in some ways it, the story was, I didn't give it a chance to be fully assessed and reconciled uh, before I started sharing the pieces. Mm. And some of that was hurtful to my, yeah. to my family. And so I'm careful with it now. Yeah, yeah. They know me well enough to know I'm in the business of being vulnerable. And so I'm going to share my story, but I really want to do it in a thoughtful, respective way yeah. where I see both sides. Yep. But thank you for acknowledging mom. She doesn't get enough credit. She's just, she's fierce with her love. And, and, um, she challenged me at the right time and has always kind of done that, you know, all along the way. So what happened next? I stumbled my way into the counseling process. So you went? Um, I did, and I didn't have a good experience. I, I think I met with two or three people who were young, very eager counselors and I had so much shame in my story. I mean, I was, uh, the fact that I felt I needed help at that time and I went, boy, did I need help? Um, I did not have that message yet Mm. that your dad gifted you with. And frankly, that today seems so widely accepted, which yeah. is a beautiful thing that it's not what's wrong with you. It's what's right with you that you'd go get help and be a better person. Mm. At that now, time, do you feel like in that moment when your mom reached out to you, that was such a huge moment. Do you feel like the shame would have been taken away if your, if your dad had been right there with her saying the same thing or said the same thing that Dave's dad said? I don't think so because I, th- I don't think they created a lot of that shame. I think a lot of it yeah. was external in nature and wow. it had compounded itself in a way that it would take years to unpack. It still shows yeah. up in my story. Yeah. But at that, but at that time it was driving everything. I was literally a, a shame based man that, yeah. um, was confidently scared of the world I was living in. Confidently scared. <laughs> what a great way to put that. <laughs> I've never heard that phrase. If that makes any sense. I feel like that may sum up a lot of my, Confidently scared. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> yeah. of a lot of how I've approached a lot of things <laughs> in my life. It's like my dad says the Barnes motto is, we may not know what we're doing, but we're sure about it. <laughs> you know, there is that sort of resonates with the confidently scared. Well, yeah. So the, back to those counselors, the, the first three, man, they were so... 
they were on the edge of their seat and just so curious. And you could tell they just were passionate about what they did. It's yeah. nothing wrong with them. But yeah. at the time, I couldn't have somebody that interested in my story because I was embarrassed about it. Wow. Uh-huh. And the fact that they wanted to know and were asking great questions, I, I wanted to get the hell out of there. I was See. like, I want nothing to do with these folks. And thankfully, I gave it one more try because I was a little bit desperate. And I met with... Um, He's an older psychiatrist. He was in the last maybe three to five years of his practice. And he had seen it all, you could tell. Yeah. And he really didn't give a crap about my story. Yeah. And I kind of now, typically, I, I employ a lot of therapists. And I would say that's probably not a good thing. But for some reason, that was a God divine thing for me. And I, I know that's not true. He did care because mm-hmm. I wound up, he ended up being kind of a catalyst for me to, to get into this way of life. But on the first meeting or two, he wasn't eager he was just there yeah he was just kind of like yeah. all right what you yeah. got for me man yeah. kind of like i've heard it all and and he actually this is a funny story he probably i think he's retired so i won't say his name anyway but he actually second session he fell asleep in the session no <laughs> <laughs> see that's so comforting though right to you you're to like me. i feel like mm-hmm. i am dropping a bomb right now it was and, the, but you just fell asleep so it can't be that, that bad. would traumatize nine out of ten people but i was the one right. isn't that, that amazing i was like because it just worked i was like i got the biggest kick out of this guy yeah i was like are you kidding me this guy <laughs> so it, you know what it made me realize is that i'm taking my story way too serious yeah. yes what and, a great word and this guy um and i actually messed with him too because when he kind of startled awake i said and then i killed him uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It was awesome. And then he falls asleep again, like, wow, he is really he not unfazed. <laughs> he has heard it. Who all. does he meet with? <laughs> but no, he, he ended up um being an amazing, amazing person and he just he, he got me and I and I knew he cared, but he just I think he was probably wise enough. He knew um how to engage a guy like me. And mm. from that he wound up recommending that I go somewhere and and get some help and 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 I did. And that ended up being so a lot of people ask me they say how'd you get started in what you do? I recently sat around a table full of guys I really respect, new to me, but and they all doing amazing things in politics and business and I was the mental health guy and it was kind of like How'd you get into what you got into? And everybody was doing their pedigree. Like I went to Harvard and I went, and I was like, yeah. I went to rehab. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> rehab you. Yeah. <laughs> Magna cum laude. Yeah. But you know, in an odd way, I look back at it and I, and I did get educated too, but that was the best education I ever got. Wow. Yeah. And I don't look at it like rehab at all. Now I look at it like human school. Wow. And yeah. it taught me how to be more humane to myself and the people around me. And if everybody, and I, I literally left there and I thought if everybody on the planet could, could take a month and untethered and go work on being a better version of who they are, the world could change dramatically. So yeah. I, it was funny. I, for some reason I came out of there not thinking, well, which one of my buddies are struggling with depression, anxiety, addiction, so I can try to get them in. Re-. I went out there thinking, how do I get the whole world on a bus and take them to rehab? Yeah. yeah. Cause I didn't look at it like rehab. I looked at it like, this is a beautiful opportunity and gift to work on yourself. And nobody gets the opportunity to do that. Hmm. So the rehab that you went to, was it a special kind of rehab or was it just a, a pretty typical kind of 12 step kind of thing? It had, it was a little bit more, um, eclectic and, uh, diverse and just one particular modality, which was a good yeah. imprint for me. So they didn't just say we're 12 step based. I mean, they did certainly integrate that, which I think there's so much value and good stuff in the steps, but it was more of a therapeutic approach meets, you know, 12 steps. And so okay. they really got to the core work and figured yeah. out where does this imprint start? What are you doing? I mean, it yeah. was really, it was a good, it was really good. 
is that what the typical and i don't even i'm speaking out of ignorance but like is that what the typical rehab the, kind of model it's, is like the, the treatment industry you know and I, mean? I worked in it for a while prior yeah. to, to on-site i guess you'd say i'm back in it now because i've got a long-time residential program in addition to what we do at on-site with all of our workshops it's a it's a crazy landscape it is so yeah. diverse and it is so segmented and it's changing so fast it, behavioral health in general there is a uh, unbelievably uh, fast pace of consolidation and acquisition so unfortunately private equity and wall street started buying everything and you can imagine the clash of right mission and margin and profit yeah. versus human service and it kind of i hate to say it but it sucks the soul out of a lot of what we're doing uh, yeah. when you're reporting to a board of directors versus a family with mm, a loved one. Yeah. So I, I hate to be too hard on it, but I've just seen too many of my friends even that were well-intended like me. They came through the lens of their own experience. They started a program then they sold it and they, they did well, but then the program died within five years. Oh, that's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious that if you came out of this amazing rehab program, but it, but it was some kind of special kind of rehab program and you felt like this should be the model for everything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it certainly, what I learned there imprinted a lot of what I get to do now. Yeah. But I even knew, for some reason back then, uh, I mean, I was working, I had like a, a treatment plan, which is like, here are the things you need to work on to, mm. to get better. And I used it on the back of it, I put a business plan. I had a 60-page like business plan Holy to cow. do something. Yeah. And thankfully, I had this really great mentor at the time that uh, I was eager and excited as a young guy to say, I want to do, I think I'm going to change everything. I'm going to change my career. I just fell in love with the change business. And I got all this new language, this new, like, here's emotions. And here's, so it was yeah. like, I was like, been in the desert my whole life and got water. I was like, I got to do this. And I got to shout it from the rooftops. And when I went, I thought he might be as excited as I was two weeks into treatment. And uh, instead of what he probably should have done and what most would have done, which would have been, you know, get your butt back into group and you need to, uh, it's too soon for you to be thinking about that. You need to be working on you. That's not why you're yeah. here. He didn't do that. He did, he literally just took a breath and looked at me in the eyes and he said, I think, I think you're going to make a big difference in this space. Wow. He did not need to say that. And he didn't know there's no way he could have known, or maybe yeah. he did. Maybe he was God inspired, but I couldn't believe it. Cause I was braced for the other response, which just put me back in my place. Yeah. And he lifted me up and said, I see you, I believe in you, and you're going to do something special. And then it was a beautiful reframe, which is a good therapeutic tool. You guys have done it a couple of times in here. He said, but here's the way to get there. He said, the people that make the longest lasting impact in this space, and this has probably been my biggest gift as a parent too, is are those who get a PhD in themselves. He said, so you can go back to school and get all the letters on your business card you can ever want, but if you don't do the work on becoming a better human, and then uh, this this change business will chew you up and spit you out, and you won't last your long. Or you'll be, you will recreate what got you here to begin with. And I see so many yeah. well-intended, beautiful counselors and counseling programs that have the same pathology that got them there. They're guarded and pumping out information from the wrong side of the brain and trying to motivate change instead of trying to humanize the process of brokenness. Yeah, man, that is incredible. It's really well yeah, said. That's a so, lot so, so, dense so wisdom. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I need to close my eyes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. So then you do you do you purchase on site? Is that right? It was already happening. And it you was. Came in yeah. And, okay. You purchase it. You have this vision. You're motivated. You're so excited. 
what is the vision with OnSite? What what is it you guys are trying to do? Like if the thesis statement of, of what you're doing there. We're really just trying to change lives through enhancing people's emotional health. I think there is a big deficit of self-awareness in our culture. And I think we, we skirt around it with super well-intended um, spirituality and personal growth. But those structures historically have not been set up for us to come into and be really honest about who we are and be seen in that way. And I think, if anything, I thought, how do we create an ancillary service to all these beautiful offerings like the faith space and the business sector and the creative space and uh, wrap something around them that would curate the safe place for them to come in and get really real and take what some would say the longest journey we ever take, which is kind of the 18 inches from our head to our heart. It's amazing that some uh, change processes are designed unconsciously to actually keep you from going there. They intellectualize the process. And I wanted to create something and be a part of something that just invited people into their story in a safe way so that they could come out and rewrite whatever parts of the narrative aren't serving them and, and just be a better person for it. You know, that something that is so fascinating to me about that space, and I think being a Christian, is it? it's like the 30,000 foot view can get tricky because, and I think I wonder rather if this has been some of the nuance that gets tricky in the sort of like self-help, self-work space than the, especially the Christian space, because it, at the onset, it feels a little backwards. It feels like, well, you don't do the work. The Lord does the work. And that's, but the truth is they're the same thing. And I think as I've gotten older, you're right. I mean, you know, when we were talking to Stephen, James about this, him just saying the same thing, like the mass importance of knowing yourself, knowing your story, knowing your tendencies, um, which is spiritual work. I think especially for those who are Christians, that you're doing that work with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. It's it's and the best work we can do is Holy Spirit inspired work like he's going to know us better than we know ourselves. So it is interesting because in the wrong way, it can feel very like I go somewhere else and do this work. Then I come back to the church. You know, I do. Where and sometimes that's that is needed, you know. I mean, that's what onsite is so great about is you can go do this work. But I think, you know, um, doing it through the lens of our spiritual journey is is the and it can feel. It's sometimes I, I even see that in some friends. They kind of feel like, well, I go here to do this, and then I go here to do this, right. you know. Um, and I think it's uh, the the best work is both, you know, is 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 trying to involve the Lord in this work while still doing. You know, it's disciplines. It's it doesn't mean it's. I have to get up and do these things. I have to know myself. I have to keep notes on, why did I just do that? Oh, I'm doing that thing again. And that's not necessarily a God thing on the onset. That's just me. Now, how do I invite the Lord into it? But, and I do see that, I think, sometimes with the older generations. I know with, with my parents' generation and growing up in the church, my dad being a pastor, that can feel very faux pas. Like, you're going to do your somewhere in the California desert and smoke some peyote and realize, and then, you know, and that, you know, yeah, where I think, you know, to your point, like our generation, especially the younger generation is much more comfortable going like, no, this is just, it's everyday work. It's work. It's just disciplines. It's things that, you know, help me do better or whatever, where I think, well, we, I think we've still got to, we're gaining on it, but yet you just spoke to such an important thing is I, I still think we're, we need some work on humanizing it because yes. you're right. I think we, we put it in, in buckets and the faith space has evolved there. And, you know, I'm a believer and, but I run a, a, a secular organization, yeah. although yeah. people know, I mean, we integrate, 
we're not faith-based. We're faith-inclusive, meaning we, wow. we don't exclude people from what they do and don't believe. We, everybody's welcome, but we do integrate spirituality and faith into our process. But we may have a room full of Christians with Orthodox Jews, with atheists. For, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, but I, I think church and psychology and self-help just has just as much baggage as religion. Mm. And so I think both of us sit on a really beautiful offering to some of the divisiveness we see in culture right now, but there's so much baggage. It's hard for us to get a seat at the table because yeah. we all get so invested in what we know. And there, and, and therefore um, we come through the lens of needing to be right, which is the problem of the divide to begin with. Yeah. And I like where church started taking it uh, out of church. You know, I think they realized there was a problem. Everybody's coming in and doing one way of life on Sunday. And then the rest of the time they're not. So let's do this little small group idea and try to take it into the home. And that was brilliant. And I think therapy, we're behind a little bit, but we're catching up to where this conversation is going to be therapeutic for me. Mm, I'll go home and reflect a little bit about some of the parts of my family I've talked about with you guys. I mean, there's one part about my mom, even bringing it up again, I almost got emotional. I was thinking, Mm. wow, she really did. So, um, we need more of this in our homes. We don't need to save hard conversations for therapy rooms. Uh, they need to be in church. They need to be in home. It needs, I, I agree. If it's the more it's integrated, the better. Well, you know, too, something that I am dealing with real time in my life is, so again, Stephen um, came over and hung with us for dinner and we were talking about this and it really messed with me. This idea that the Lord is never scared of pain. He's never scared of hardships. He's never scared of the truth. And I think something, and maybe to what you spoke of earlier, like, but the Southern Midwestern, whatever, kind of the Christian culture that I know, I don't know much other, I don't really know any other experience, but for me growing up in the church, there is this, we got to have it together. God accepts us when we are clean, which is completely counter Christian. It's wildly counter Christian, but there is this feeling of like, we get cleaned up, which, you know, has its, you got the old Testament, the temple, and there's truth to that, but Jesus came to abolish, to, to complete. And that went away. It fell apart. And now he is there, you know? And, and so I think it's funny because for me, I, I realize I still believe this. I got to have it together for the Lord. Like I got to get it together for the Lord. And I mean, only in the last year, six months, am I really trying to understand this thing of what you guys do at Onsite so well, which is let's be human. Can we just be human and then start there? Because God's not scared of that. God's not scared of our humanity. He's not scared of what that means, the things we've done. And I think for me, that's really counterintuitive, sadly. I think I tend to go, and I think about my kids and the burdens I pray to God I don't put on them of going like, hey, get it together. Right. You know? yeah. And you know, sometimes that is needed. You know, But I think most of the time, how do we engage each other, our kids, our wives, our, you know, our friends at a human level? And I think... You know, so many of my friends that have been on site, that is the resounding experience they have is this, I met myself as myself, all the burdens I have to bear, all the strengths I have to offer, but I was just, it was true. I was realistic with who I am, with what I'm dealing with, my story. Starting at the human level is such a powerful thing. And I I love that about what you guys do. And that's a new journey for even me, just to kind of think on that level, you know, to be okay with that. Well, because I, I feel like it's about eliminating shame. Yeah. Really, like shame is the motivator for, I feel like everything that you just pointed out that's so prevalent, especially in faith-based groups. Yeah. Where there's there's somewhat of a necessary language and somewhat of a necessary like 
baseline common experience and knowledge and you know what I mean? Mm. And so you would want to be real with people and really present yourself. If I get together with a small group of guys, you know, or some sort of Bible study or whatever, which is an experience that I've had many, many, many times to your point, it's counterintuitive to the whole point of getting together, but I'm sort of having my guard up in those moments because I want to, I want to prove that like, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a believer. I know what's, I know what's happening here. I don't want to, I don't want to ask some question and everybody be like, Wait, 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 wait. That's, wait, ten, you, that's like drawing board <laughs> stuff. What are you? You're what, ten steps back. Who invited you? Move your, move your uh, guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I feel like um, so much of of what you said, and so much of the things that I guess that we do, the little decisions that we make that take us two steps back on a daily basis. I don't have an expert opinion on this, but just in my experience, they're all shame fueled. I'm operating out of shame. What fascinates me about what you do and the, the what you have created is you have people coming out of necessity, out of survival, like maybe they have hit rock bottom or I, I don't know what their common, you know, theme experience is that brought them there. But I would think you're dealing with people who are ready to be real. Is that the vibe there? It's both. I mean, you've got you got people that are people arrive in in a lot of different ways. Some of them are coming from a lot of adversity or challenging circumstances. You're going mm-hmm. through major life transition or trauma. And some of them are relieved to be there. And then you got some people that come every year that life's pretty good. They just know it could be deeper and better. Oh, okay. And they just want okay. a higher EQ. And so yeah. it's for really normal everyday people too. I've got companies now that EQ is outpacing IQ as a, as a, a leadership indicator. Wow. I've got fortune 100 companies that will send me leadership team members to jump in a week-long deep therapeutic program to come out with more empathy and a higher EQ. It's amazing. But they may be in there with somebody who's really gone through some tough childhood circumstances. And I'm glad you guys are talking about it. I don't, and I don't think it's all, I think faith, the faith circles get a bad rap sometime. And I was guilty of, of being as, as judgmental externally as I believed I was basically judging people for judging people. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And, um, I'm familiar with that headspace. Yeah. 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 And uh, <laughs> I know that place. And I think it's it's well intended, but I, I've seen, gosh, at our place, for example. Well, when I was early in our work, and I did that, I left kind of church and my mm-hmm. beliefs and went towards mainstream psychology because it felt more real to me at the time. Yeah. And then I wanted to get reconnected spiritually and rerouted. And so I circled back. And then when I had this beautiful offering that was on site to help figure out how does this, should this be positioned to the world to help people? I thought, man, we need more people of faith here. We need more, you know, be able to help what's happening in the Christian. Yeah. And so I started trying to, how do we speak the language? How do we become more biblical? What do we need to do to get and we tried, you know, in uh, some of my leadership team, their believers too, it's like, well, let's create a Christian program so that people, when they call and they say, hey, I'm struggling, we, we know you've got the best counseling in town, but we need to know, are you, are you faith-based? Well, I've learned that means something different for a lot of people. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. But for a lot of people, it means, are you teaching from biblical principles? And, and uh, I felt so ashamed because it was so hard for me to not feel like I was part of the tribe growing up. And then here again, I'd created something or was a part of something professionally where I didn't feel part of the tribe. Yeah. And I wanted so badly to be seen. That was my issue by the 
the Christian community, that we were a good resource. Yeah. And it, it, it was happening. I mean, I, we're in America. So the largest audience of any business that anybody's going to do is going to be Christian. That's just the bottom line, just because that's our origins. But we weren't, they weren't calling on us. And so we tried this Christian program. It was an awesome program. It's called the prodigal love program. And it flat, it, it didn't work. It failed because again, we were becoming, we had an agenda. And what I've learned in our space is that agenda is, is one of the fastest ways uh, to disrupt uh, vulnerability. Huh. And so uh, all of our therapists now, they lead with what, who they are before they, you ever find out what they know. But when I finally gave that up and we start, our business started improving and I thought, you know what, if, if God, for some reason, wants us to be a resource for faith-based communities and he'll, he'll show me that that's supposed to happen. But if I'm trying to make it happen, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Cause either if you're in that space and you're a faith-based resource, you're usually ministering to faith-based people. Yeah. I never wanted to do that. I wanted right. to be right. for everybody. And I'll never forget the phone call I got from a really well-known mega church pastor that had this big public fall and I got the call and he says, Hey, uh, I'm sure you've seen in the media, but I need to come and take a look at some stuff. And I got a couple questions and I knew what was coming. I was already on my heels cause I had some shame around that. And I thought, Oh man, he's going to find out where we've got people here that are non-Christian and he's not coming. And so he said, are you faith-based? And I finally got comfortable enough to say we're not. And he said, thank God I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And that was a wake up call. I was yeah. like, wow. And for some reason he didn't feel faith safe as yeah. a, as that much of an influence in faith space to go to a Christian circle. Cause I think it's what you said, just being able to let his guard down. Yeah. But we're, you know, we ebb and flow. We're starting to integrate more of it in and we're just, we just want to meet people where people are. Yeah. And some of what I see in the rooms of what we do, what I know about the story of the gospel, what Jesus teaches, he is, you better believe he's there. And I'm never going to try to push him on people because we've got yeah. too much of, but I've seen more people who were atheists and agnostic ask questions about God in our space. And I have anywhere yeah, else I've ever been. And that's not the, or maybe it is, maybe that's what God's doing. I don't know, but we're not, we we're there, nothing we're doing is there to try to convert anybody. Yeah. Uh, we're just there to try to, support people in being real and accept them as they are. And it's amazing when that happens. Yeah. So transitioning finally into you being a dad. So so he's 16 months, 16 months, 16, 16. Okay. Which 16 months is the first 16 months are the easiest. So just yeah. FYI. You're sleeping Thanks. all the time. Oh, geez. You know, been, you've seen me yawn like 10 times. Oh, my God, I've dude. It, and I've got one on the way. Do you know that? No. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. we got a little girl coming in oh, April. Dude. dude, that's amazing. Oh, that is the best. So so what are the things that have surprised you being a dad? I'll be honest. I, I got in a late start, and I got a lot of feedback and advice uh, from so many people. And I've had a front row seat from so many yep. parents who've yep. struggled and done it right and done it wrong yep. and had regrets. And, and there wasn't a lot that surprised me hmm. because, you know, where I am having my first, uh, parenting experience. But I guess the thing that stands out the most is I, I mean, everything everybody told me is true. You're never going to love like this. You'll never experience this. It, it's all true, but they told me that. So that didn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Either I don't know or long ago I had compressed this deep joy hmm. 
and I'm I can be a serious guy. That's why both of you guys are so quick. I know you better. So quick, so funny. I figured out in two minutes you are too, <laughs> just by sitting down with you. And I'm like, man, what? How am I going to even enter this conversation? <laughs> These guys are quick, and I'm not. I'm not that funny. I'm a serious dude. But I have reconnected with my joy. Wow. And I and when he when I look at him, I'm doing the goofiest, funniest, funnest things I've ever done. Sometimes it's me and him, and I don't care if it's a symphony full of people. Yeah. I will dance and sing to the top of my lungs. Yeah. So I guess I'm really getting in touch with this kid, this just authentic joy, and that has been the biggest and most beautiful surprise so far. To your point, it's like you can hear that stuff a million times, and you're like, yeah. And then you start to experience, and you're like, no, they were wrong. Yeah. It is a tenth. Like they, they gave me a tenth of a clue as to what this really, really feels like. Yeah. I mean, the the profound uh, impact of, of kids. And so having a boy, do you find, I mean, he's still so young, but do you find yourself thinking about things as a dad to a boy that are, that you're kind of watching or you're excited about or you're, you know, you're fearful of? Is there, you know, because th that relationship, you know, that the, the dad son thing is such a potent, I mean, dads in general, but you know, the, the son thing, there's such a, there's such a, strength and nuance to the whole thing you know yeah it's been amazing to to watch and for some reason I, the fear i have is new parent fear which is his safety yeah basically yeah. his physical safety my wife has it times kind of times oh 10 gosh. um she, are you still like leaning over during naps make sure he's breathing uh yeah. we check him every now and then but not yeah. as much he's finally gotten the strength to roll over and do his thing but oh my yeah. gosh we read what you read about sids it scared oh, us to death yeah and uh, we didn't sleep a lot just cause we just yeah. like, a, we don't, we want to keep this baby alive. So it's really more physical safety for me. Thankfully, fear of being a parent and screwing this up. I don't have a lot of fear about that because I have learned that it's not really about the rip. It's about the repair. And I do, I do a lot of repair. And so I, I feel, I know I'm going to make some mistakes. I already have. Yeah. I, I talked earlier about the, um, about the technology piece and just being distracted, but I clean that up. I, I can yeah. double down on presence after I've had a moment where I learn from the distraction might cause this. I've studied, you know, a lot about attachment theory. And so I, so I know some of the science behind what it means to create a good connection with your kid. Uh, but for me, I don't have a lot of pressure because I know the second chance theory and how effective it is. When I said earlier, my dad's doing his best parenting right now. He was awesome all the way through. Um, not perfect, but awesome. But now he's telling me some ways that he could have done it differently. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're 70s and I'm 40s and here we are. And so what? That's a, I get to start that at 16 months. Mm, as, yeah. a, as soon as he's old enough to comprehend language, he is a little bit now, I'll be able to let him know, hey, I could have done that differently. Yeah. How do you repair? Like what are the ways after the rips have happened that as I think, especially as dads, like what does repair look like? I'm just going to be honest. It's new for me from a parenting standpoint. I can speak more to how would you repair a rip um, as it relates to other relational components. And I, I would think it would mirror the parenting process too, but it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty simple. I, I think it's just having enough awareness on board and humility to own it. Um, and uh, to acknowledge it and then to make amends for it. And then for them to see that followed up by some action. I think if, if, uh, if, if you're making amends for the same thing every day and you're not making an attempt to improve it, yeah, then right. that's a little different. But is it, the hardest part for most people 
is is just to own it and acknowledge it. Just uh, most people, well, sorry. most people skip those parts and just say, "I'm sorry," and I'm for what? You know, what does that yeah. mean? Oh wow! Yeah. And so I think it's really important to be specific and clear about what it is. I'm fascinated by this stuff, but especially as a dad now, are there consistencies you see in the counseling and work that y'all do that inform? I would imagine this is kind of a um, you may have just answered this with your with the rip up here, but are there things that really inform how you think about your boy and your soon to be daughter? I mean, you take the wisdom you garner from sitting in rooms and seeing work done and healing and and even hearing other counselors and their wisdom given that inform sort of how you're wanting to do parenting oh, or, or, or I would say, especially so maybe things not to do, you know, or, or whatever it be. Yeah. Both. I, it honestly would be hard for me to summarize like here are the top three. Cause it's just so rich. I get to yeah. live in a little bit of a therapeutic bubble, a lot of time with my profession and I don't necessarily facilitate, but I'm around some really bright minds and to hear what they do. And that's another beautiful thing. I think a lot of parents who have guilt and shame about what they didn't do uh, or didn't see or didn't experience along the way. I see people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and even 70s rewrite whatever parts of the narrative that the parents may not have done well. And they almost recreate secure attachment through therapeutic work. And they're great. So people are pretty dang resilient. Mm, uh, yeah. And one thing we really try to do at onsite is never add shame to anybody's story. Wow. And I want to make sure I'm really intentional about that as a parent. And you can do that in really subtle, unconscious ways. Um, a lot of times advice is a go-to method and people don't really want advice in general. Um, and oh gosh. It, people just want to be seen, heard, valued, yeah. empathize with and listen to. And I know I'm going to advise my son over and over and over again but I want to make sure I counter that with just really hearing him and letting him hit on the guardrails a little bit and being there to catch him, you know, in the middle. So I don't, I don't want to unconsciously transfer any of my shame onto him. That would be a big one. I think being uh, honest and, and vulnerable and real may be the biggest. I think having lived in that world for the last 15 years, what it's done for me personally, what it's done for me professionally, and most importantly, what it's done for me spiritually is, uh, is beyond description. And so if I can gift him with that mirror uh, that I'm not going to be one of those dads that tries to keep it together and, uh, and, and not be vulnerable and sensitive and, and uh, cry when I want to, and I can still be, uh, that is strong to me. So that's yeah. probably the biggest. God, I love that. Just trying to mirror that. All those things you said I think are true. I think uh, something that I am so encouraged by, I talked to a dear friend of mine over coffee this morning about who's got four that are like getting into their teens but he you know he's my age and it was just really cool hearing him say how much the apology the asking his kids for forgiveness is so paramount in there because they the kids are really great and they have great relationships with them and seems like really healthy attachments to each other and but I think a lot of that's because he's very open with his miss you know like he's not one that's like trying to cover over stuff and he's good to kind of go oh I think I may have said something that was too harsh and revisit that and apologize and I can't shake feeling like that's such a massive deal like just the entering into the vulnerable with your kid you know which he said is really interesting he's like it's a lot harder as they get older 
And I was like, that's really fascinating. Because yeah. it's one thing when they're little and my little seven-year-old, not too harsh or I do whatever and I have to go, hey, buddy. But, you know, when you're looking at your 15-year-old dude and there's a little bit of the dad posturing and you want him to respect you and think you got it, that's got to be tough to – I'm not looking forward to that, yeah. you know, but, um, but it was cool to hear him say like that it's hard, but he's like, yeah. I have to do it. And it's so beneficial, but it's work. But I think it creates these really healthy expectations from the kid to the dad. Like dad cries. He loves me. He, he gets sad about things. He, and I think to your point, um, when I think about, you know, the experience in general, being a father and, um, living those emotions in front of your kid, if that's the normal, how great is that? That they go, oh, it's normal to get sad. It's normal to get angry. It's normal to be scared. It's normal yeah. to um, be hurt. Uh, and well, you almost have to like think of your kid in thirty years or whatever, and think, how can I help them when they're in the spot that I'm in right now, having all this? You know, like I'm not going to be able to keep this together. Thank God, my parents were great about, you know, being vulnerable and not being the perfect parents and not trying to look like the perfect parents. So I don't feel like I have to be the perfect parent, you know. I think that is is key. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, if I can quote it, it's been a long time, to, to know what you know and to know what you don't know is the mark of one who knows. But permission is a parent to not know. Wow, I, I think is so key. I think it's, and you said this. I think you said you've had a couple other people, and they said Al uh, on the podcast, and uh, Stephen, other people who uh, would say you become better by becoming, you know, working on yourself. I fully echo that. I'm not sure if that's what they said, but I would. That's the way I teach leadership: is you become a better leader by becoming a better person, and that is not. You don't become a better person through leadership theory. Mm. Uh, you become by clearing your own channel, taking a look at you are processing, and having conversations like we do. I think you become a better dad by becoming a better person and the more yeah. integrated and in touch. I think we long for in our culture to see leadership that is comfortable in the unknown because ultimately we don't know anything yeah. and control is such a myth but we, I've never seen a politician do it. I've never seen a, a debate on a national stage yep. where someone <laughs> asks something about national security or something and they say, you know what, I don't, I'm not sure on that. But I've got some really smart people that I'm going to bring over. I would, I would be like, I'm voting for that yeah, guy. In, yeah, in. I would be so in. Because we're watching and we're like, look, we know you guys don't know all the but answers. But you're going to come up with it at all costs. And yeah, I think that's the costs. pressure of a dad is we have to know. No yeah, matter what yeah. they ask, we yeah. need to know. And I don't. I think it's going to be, a, I, I hope I can embrace a little bit of the mystic in that and just say, you know, buddy, I, I don't know that. But I, I'll work to try to support you on finding the right yeah. answer. So on-site counseling, anybody that's listening, that's contemplating counseling, that's going, you know, I'm trying to figure out if that's something I need to do. What would you say to them? that hasn't done it before? I would say nobody needs to, but everybody deserves to. Wow. Come on with that. You've answered that question before. If not, I'm mind blown. <laughs> See, that's great. And what's great about that answer is that it ta takes the shame out. There's no shame. And because I, I was about to just chime in and be like, you need it. Whoever, whoever you are, <laughs> wherever you yeah. are listening, you need it. Yeah. But a better way to say that is you deserve it. Yeah, there's no shame in it. You deserve it, Miles. It's amazing, and I, I just to encourage you. I think it's, I think you and what y'all are doing, it's so unique because to John's point, it's so shameless. I'm too 
fallen and whatever to every time we've talked, what I, everybody I know that's done on site, there's this freeing, there's this, you leave the shame. And even as you've talked, every time we have conversations, I'm like, how do you do that so well? How do you navigate? I mean, so much of any inference I have toward wisdom or I have a thought, it, there's probably a little barb in there. Every piece yeah. of wisdom I give has got a yeah. little scorpion tail of like, <laughs> you know, and I'm just so, I'm so inspired when we spend time together. Cause I'm like, you, you've done such a good job of fostering a shameless worldview and sort yeah. of ideology and spirituality that I think is, 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 I have such a hard time getting there. I mean, even yeah. as you joke, John, like that was, I was. I was ready. I was like, well, yeah. you need to. You need it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, you know. I'm, I'm sh- in a more enlightened space right now, and I can tell you that you need it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And I, I, I'm just, I think, I'm, I always admire that about you. You you create, so there's a quote that I love that, uh, that I, I don't sadly know the guy that said it because it was a conduit. A guy told me this quote, but um, it's my favorite quote. It says, whenever we come together sharing our strengths, it breeds competition. Whenever we come together, sharing our weaknesses breeds community. And I think that is what, that's good. Isn't that great? Mm. But it's what you guys do so well. And it's so shameless. It's like, and I think as I get older and gosh, especially for my kids and my wife, like I just don't, how can I foster a home without shame? You know? And I think a lot of that you guys and you do so well, which it's always so super inspiring. So last question, we ask everybody this. What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Mm. Just a light, breezy yeah. question. <laughs> wow. That's a really solid, good question. It's funny. My brain had a response in the same way you guys owned yours earlier where I went to. Well, I better come up with something profound here. Cause this is <laughs> right. yeah. the last question. Need a we would hate moment. for you to leave yeah. shame. So God, God, God knows Al did it better than you. Know. <laughs> um, so I still got that shame on board. But yeah, I think I, nothing fancy. I just want him to know uh, he really cared about me and humanity. He was really kind. Um, he was he was strong in his vulnerability. Uh, he was generous with his grace. Um, he uh, he loved loved well, yeah. uh, and uh, he he passed in a really good place. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I love all the answers to that question are always <laughs> so good. I know they're so great. It's a great strong point. in his it's vulnerability. That's great. That's a great question. One I always get we laugh because like I think we both always get teary just asking it because just saying those words I'm yeah. like. Oh God. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> but you know, and I think I, I'll say this quickly. I think something I keep thinking about, we talked to somebody about this on one of the podcasts, but I've thought on this so much about the idea of our kids, what a gift it would be to my kids that they know me. And that sounds really well, like, duh, but like, no, but like really know me to be known, to wow. be known, Ooh. you know, like, like the gift of going, here's the good man. Here's me kind of way down here. Here's me angry here's me repentant but just you know i think like god that's a gift you know and i think you know i'll say i feel like with with my dad um that is a gift i keep being given as he gets older and i think i knew him growing up but now i feel like i really know him it's crazy how much that's built in to me i'm like i want that you know i'm 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 still curious at 40 about that like 
how he thinks about things. Or and see, I think that's what can change the game. Is and maybe that was circles back to the one of the first questions you ask is for some reason when we're in development and then we're, when we're in transition. So when we're young and when we're old, we come back to a childlike state, and we lose our filters and the world uh, protecting uh, any part of our story doesn't mean as much anymore. So you get a little more vulnerable. And I think, why do we wait? What about yeah. the sweet spot? What about right. our 40s? Why, well, I think we can change that. Yeah. Like, what do we have to protect anyway? No, I know. I mean, even some of what I, I, I've got things that down the road, you know, in 10, 15 years, I thought, I wonder if public service is a direction for me. Like, would I ever do politics or something like that? Maybe. Everything I say now is going to inform that. So, and I know we're talking yeah. publicly. It's going to go out there. And I've talked about literally going to rehab. I mean, yeah. But I thought I have such freedom in knowing I'm okay with that because I think the world's waking up a little more every day. And yeah. I think they're going to be more apt in, in 10 years to trust somebody who's honest with their story versus somebody who's trying to protect it. Yeah. Well, you're playing a big part of that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 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 I'm super thankful for what you do. And I mean, again, my friends, I, this is a great way to conclude, but I feel like everybody I know, I've been in two different writer rooms with friends as we've been writing songs and they lead with, they just got back from on site and it's just understood. We're not writing that day because it is like, <laughs> tell me about it. And they're like, Oh my gosh, oh, let me wow. tell you. And I'm just oh, always thanks. like so fascinated by it because again, it's such different revelation. It's shameless. Re it's not, yeah. here's the things that I got to work on or, and I mean, that's good. That's good. That's I'm not, but you know, it's just this, I just feel this freedom. I feel like I know this stuff I didn't know and it's okay. And, and this is what I do now. And so it's always so, you know, it just feels like everybody's so excited and feels so um, free, you know, yeah. which I think is well done. I mean, it's, well, thank such, you. it's such a, it's amazing what y'all are doing. Thanks for being on too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you. you. And it's honored to be a part of this narrative. Honestly, I didn't know um, you, when you invited me on the text, I was like, that sounds, so I would just sit with you anyway with a podcast or not. Cause I just admire who I'm getting to know you to be. Uh, and I know you've got a big, big group of people that feel the same way, but I thought this was going to be about fully about being a dad. And I was a little nervous because I was like, what do I really have to offer as a parent, you know, <laughs> with a kid this young? Yeah. And I could tell you what I know about parenting from my education, yep. yeah. but it's so different when you're yeah. in real time. But I think I'm pleasantly surprised because I came in with no mental preparation about telling you about my story, the struggles, the good, the bad. And you guys invited me in that space in such a safe way that um, I may have, you know, gone deeper here than I would have on uh, another podcast. It was like the vulnerability podcast, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's just something about, yeah. Yeah. The spirit of what you're bringing is just a beautiful thing. And the pivot into being a parent is just so yeah. cool. So uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you. Grateful. All you wonderful, beautiful, kind people. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you have a second, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and write a review. Unless it's bad. Because that stuff really does matter. And please follow us on socials. You can find us everywhere at Dadville Podcast. Also, you can follow us each at Dave Barnes Music and at John McLaughlin to find out more about our music. Thanks for listening. Dum, 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 dum.